And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I am Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. And we can finally exhale after a frantic few days uh, around the Red Wings at the trade deadline, a busy weekend of trades, and then the Monday uh, shocker, the Anthony Mantha trade to the Washington Capitals. The Red Wings actually, during that span, sweep the Carolina Hurricanes, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, From 10,000 feet now, reflecting on the last five days, Prashanth, what stands out to you? Um, both on the ice and in the front office. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly a whirlwind of five days to, number one, get punched in the mouth on Saturday by Carolina right out the gate, fight back, and then get a 5-4 shootout win. Then Monday, you trade arguably your most talented forward, arguably your best defenseman on the season in John Merrill, And then you come back the following day and absolutely shut down the Hurricanes. Uh, Once again, a team that was the number one team in the league by points percentage. So I think the big thing I learned off ice is uh, I learned a lot about Steve Eiserman in terms of he is still willing to swing and swing real big when he feels like he needs to uh, in order to get that shakeup going. And I think uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I think we learned a lot about where Eiserman sees this rebuild at. How much longer he think he has? How much longer he thinks he has to go on it, um, and kind of what he felt Anthony Mantha's role could potentially be on this team when they were competitive. And then on the ice, you learn that this team, no matter what anyone says about them, no matter where they're at in the standings, they continue to fight and they continue to play hard, and they continue to somehow absolutely flummox the Carolina Hurricanes as they are now four three and one against the Carolina Hurricanes on the season, the best team in the league. Four two and one. Four two and still one. Got a Sorry, game that's right. Yeah. That's right. One more game to go. Four two and one against the best team in in the league right now. So I, I don't know where it's coming from, but they they are certainly showing that fight and heart. And so you know, just the the sidebar I have to give is whenever people are like, "Oh, the team has quit on Jeff Blashill." No, they have not. You continue to see them fight and fight hard uh, in games like that. That one was the most surprising to me because at past years, we have seen the Red Wings make a big trade. Uh, Gustav Nyquist comes to mind. Andreas Athanasiu comes to mind. Thomas Tatar. Thomas Tatar comes to mind. I don't remember what happened after the 18 deadline, but those last two deadlines, they've been really bad for at least a few games afterwards. And I've always chalked that up to upheaval in the locker room 
how do you process that? How do you, you compartmentalize the emotions of, you know, I don't want to say losing a friend. Everybody's still alive. Everybody's still friends. It's fine. But having that big change in, in terms of the person sitting next to you, maybe, or, uh, or the person that you always are used to, to talking to before or after the game and, and, and the emotional impact, I think of that, that is immediate. The NHL doesn't stop. And I thought when I saw that Anthony Manta had been traded, you couple it with, with how banged up they already have been. I thought the hurricanes were going to run over the Red Wings on Monday night. Um, you know, not just because the Mantha was out of the lineup, but because of kind of the, we were certainly shocked. I, I have to imagine that they were uh, surprised as well. And it was not like that at all. I mean, the the resolve was as, um, I, don't, I don't know that Carolina played a great game. I'll say that. Um, but for the Red Wings to weather the storm that they did that day off the ice and then come back and, and hang tough with what I think is one of the five best teams in the NHL, I thought was really impressive. Yeah. I mean, you saw the kind of heartfelt emotion from Dylan Larkin, obviously losing Mantha, who'd been there basically his entire career with Larkin. The two of them kind of played together, I think, for the better part of the last six or seven years. And, you know, not only did you now take Anthony Mantha out of the lineup, you took John Merrill out of the lineup, you had Patrick Nemeth out of the lineup. Uh, You still didn't have Robbie Fabry. You still don't have Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, That was absolutely a game right for Detroit to get a 9-1 loss hung on them, and it didn't happen. They came out, and they absolutely smothered the Hurricanes. You look at how well they played the Hurricanes, uh, I mean, just across the board, not only at 5-on-5, the Hurricanes power play. The Hurricanes power play is the best power play in hockey. I mean, they were basically at 30% for majority of the season, and I think in the game on Saturday, they got exactly zero shots on goal in two chances, and and Tuesday they they weren't really or sorry Monday they weren't even really that much closer to to generating anything there. So I I really thought the Wings just came out and did uh, did a fantastic job rallying around um, you know the guys that were in the locker room and finding a way to come out with a couple of victories. Yeah, I mean the other thing I wanted to talk about was the. You, know, you you talked about Iserman will do anything, and, and I think that's that is a really important topic for us today, um, and and we'll get into all the different uh, tentacles that that conversation has, I guess, uh, in a minute here. You know, it wasn't like there hadn't been any speculation around Anthony Mantha, and in fact, on on the first athletic trade board, Craig Custins, I think, was the first one to kind of lob it out there that Iserman was listening on all his young forwards. I'll say when I brought that up to people, the response I was mostly met with was that that's unlikely. And, and you know, those kind of deals happen in the offseason at the draft um, when when every team's kind of in again, um, especially this year, the, the, the limits on how large the buyer's market is, the, the limits on the incentives for buying, although I do think it's different for um, rentals and non-rentals. But even this was probably the worst year to be trying to trade um, a player with term because of the expansion draft considerations. And so that was the reason that it was mostly the shock to me, not because I thought that, you know, it, it was a lock that Anthony Mantha would be a Red Wing forever, but just because this year seemed like a really hard environment to try and pull off a deal like this. And I, I, I have to say, you know, I, I'm not one of the people who thinks that Washington got fleeced here. I, I think that this, there's a real case for this deal for both sides. And I think you really saw, the Washington side of that case evidenced in how darn good Anthony Mantha looked um, in his debut with the Capitals Tuesday night. But I have to say, I I was 
it both surprised and impressed with the way that Eisman was able to maneuver this um, under the constraints of this particular deadline, uh, all things considered. Yeah, I think if you're looking for what the number one takeaway from this deadline was, it was that cap space was a premium and teams were paying exorbitant prices just to get, you know, a couple million dollars shaved off on some of these contracts. So I'm with you, Max. I certainly didn't see Eisman being able to move a 5.7 million average annual value contract that has a few more years left with no retention whatsoever. Now, yes, the the Richard Ponick inclusion um, is sort of that retention, if you will, as he signed all the way through 2023. Um, and at 2.75 million, so you can maybe think, okay, they they basically paid to get out of 2.75 million of, of of that Mantha deal there. But that being said, I still didn't see a contract like this being moved. And if you look kind of across the board, there were no contracts like this moved unless you had that third team kicked in uh, to really absorb the price. As Detroit served for David Savard to to take on, uh, you know, 50 percent or really ultimately 25 percent of his contract. Um, and as you saw, you know, other teams do uh, uh, in the Nick Felino deal, I think you saw San Jose be able to step in and, and do that there. So I just certainly didn't see Mantha being able to move right now. And then the other flip side to it is usually the prices paid at the deadline usually pale in comparison to what you're able to get around the draft or in the summer. Um, now, granted, Mantha was not a rental. He is under contract for a handful more years, which maybe allowed the price to stay up. But this was certainly not something I saw coming. No, and, and I think that's why we why we were shocked, and, and it was certainly a scramble on Monday to put the pieces of this deal together. We're going to come back to that and give kind of a two days later assessment on that in a moment, but let's rewind a few days first and, and kind of unpack the first few trades that, that the Red Wings made, starting with Patrick Nemeth going to Colorado for a 2022 fourth-round pick. Yeah, I mean, he was the defenseman that I don't think a lot of people thought was getting moved. I mean, Mark Stahl was the guy really talked about. Um, but Nemeth sending him back to Colorado, which is where he came from prior, and then landing a 2022 fourth-round pick is a tidy piece of work from Steve Eiserman. You know, they did have to retain 50% on Nemeth, but he's only signed – uh, through the end of the year. So for Detroit, that's not a huge deal. And, uh, you know, for that premium, the price elevates uh, because Colorado needs that one and a half million paid for. And so Colorado is able to offer up a 2022 fourth round pick. And then, you know, it's kind of nice for Detroit to to bet on the variance and, and go the year out. Now, that being said, Colorado is absolutely not a team that's going to bottom out. That's still going to be in a similar position to where it is this year. Uh, but the 2022 draft's a very deep draft, and now Steve Eisman adds a nice pick uh, um, to to go through uh, and work with for the following year. Not sure it's four rounds deep. I don't. But. Think, no, no, it's not. It's yeah. certainly not four rounds deep in the sense that you're you're making that pick with boatloads of confidence in what yeah. you're getting. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of talent overall in the draft, and if some guys slip because of you know some of the scouting concerns that Eisman talked about in his press conference, then maybe it is a valuable chip to have. And it's trade up capital, which is always important. Right. I mean, you you look at what it costs to trade up. Uh, let, let's say you wanted to trade up from the middle of the second round or, or the late second round with that second Washington pick that you just picked up uh, in the Mantha deal, and you want to trade up back earlier up into the second round. A fourth round pick, you know, could be what helps you get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of options that you can work with from that uh, from that fourth round pick. Absolutely. All right. The next deal was, I think, the one that uh, is in the mold that we've been talking about for what seems like a year now. This is this is pure cap space trade. The Red Wings are able to move uh, 
are able to, to serve as an intermediary on David Savard's contract going from Columbus to Tampa Bay. The, the machinations of it make it look a little funny. It make it look like the Red Wings traded uh, Brian Lashoff for David Savard, and then the Red Wings traded uh, David Savard to the Lightning for a fourth, while Columbus, in the turn of the century, flips Brian Lashoff for a first and a third to, to the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's not quite what, what's happening here. Uh, what, what's happening here is is in order to, to make the three-team work uh, the Red Wings send Lash off to Columbus so that they can send something to Tampa Bay to get their two picks, uh, while the Red Wings are going to send their, uh, you know, while the Red Wings are going to send Savard and retain the cap space. Savard has to come through them in order for them to, to hold uh, some of his remaining cap hit, and then they send him to Tampa and get their, their prize direct from Tampa. So that's how that all works. I know people were really confused watching that come together of like, well, why didn't Neiserman just trade Brian Lashoff for a first and a third? That's not really what's happening here. Brian Lashoff actually is staying in Grand Rapids. Um, Tampa Bay just reassigns him to, to Grand Rapids, so nothing even changes for Brian Lashoff. Um, that, that's just the machinations of a three-team trade. But really, I think what, what the narrative out of this was, and I've seen a lot of national writers make this point. Pierre Lebrun had an awesome column about this in The Athletic earlier this week. The Red Wings kind of reset the market on what a quarter million dollars of cap space will get you. And that's a fourth round pick. And for a team that has a lot of cap space, that's a pretty nice piece of work. Yeah, I mean, I think to clarify, so it's actually one million in cap space, but 250 Sorry. in real cash. Real salary. And yes. so, you know, by paying 250 in real cash, if you want to view it from that standpoint, that's a heck of a get to, to for the Wings to be able to walk away with a fourth round pick uh, in, in, in that realm. Now, I think if you if you view it from through the lens of what could a million in cap space buy you, then I think you're paying maybe a little bit more than what a fourth round pick's actually worth. But Given that it's 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 only two hundred fifty thousand in cash, I don't have kind of a huge squabble uh, with that value. And these kinds of deals were the ones that, like you said, Max, we've been talking about for a while. I don't know that we really thought it would be as intricate as it was, and I don't know that I that we were expecting to see a handful of these deals happen, including the San Jose deal with uh, Nick Foligno. So uh, ultimately, I think Detroit did a nice job here. Tampa paid an extraordinary premium, though, like we talked about with cap space. To lower the Savard cap hit from the four plus million all the way down to the the one million that they're going to be able to use them for, um, I mean, it ended up costing them a first, a third, and a fourth just to do that. So, uh, really goes to show you how shrewd of a move it was for us to be able to move Mantha in this kind of market. And then the next move was John Merrill to the Montreal Canadiens for a 2021 fifth round pick. That's Ottawa's 2021 fifth round pick, so it will be early. Um, but it's still a fifth round pick. And this was the one that a lot of people weren't so hot on. I, I think uh, I think for understandable reasons. I think John Merrill played better than Patrick Nemeth this year. I think John Merrill, I mean, John Merrill does have a cheaper contract than Patrick Nemeth this year, even after retention. Um, and so to see Merrill go for a fifth while Nemeth goes for a fourth raises some eyebrows. Yeah, I mean, I was, I think I texted you this right after the deal happened. I said, I think this is Steve Eiserman's worst transaction as a general manager uh, for the Detroit Red Wings because uh, John Merrill at $925,000 is a heck of a defenseman. He's a local Michigan guy. He was a guy that, you know, at his age, I think he's 28, right? You, you bring him back next year. He was very serviceable for the, the team, and I thought he played well. Good defensive shutdown guy. Um, and to see him moved for Hayden Verbeek and then this uh, fifth round pick from 
Montreal, although it is Ottawa's pick, which just means it's going to be about 15 picks earlier, but when you're in the fifth round, it's effectively the same thing from a value standpoint. I was a little stunned and actually quite disappointed, and I was getting ready to grade this draft or this uh, this this trade deadline right after this deal, and basically call it a a C for Eiserman because this was arguably the the biggest name of the three that that uh, moved, but ultimately netted the the worst package. A couple things that I will that I will point to in trying to explain it, not defend it, but just kind of what I could offer up as the potential reasons for this. Number one, I think by retaining salary on Nemeth, even though he still costs more than Merrill, there is a case that, you know, there are only three players you can retain money on and using one of those spots is in and of itself something that a a team that's doing it um, can use to up their ask, up their price on a deal. Number two is the familiarity between Nemeth and Colorado. He has played for them before. They know exactly what they're getting. There's no mystery. They might even be more motivated to go and get him. Kind of a lesser version of of kind of the Kyle Quincy motivation coming back to Detroit um, a a couple years ago, a few years ago now. Uh, Number three is the contracts. While I think the, um, you know, obviously less money is better in 2021 and every year at the trade deadline. You still have to remember that at some point, the contract is a reflection of what the broader NHL market thinks of players. And if John Merrill signs for $925,000 and Patrick Nemeth signs for $3 million, um, that is kind of an indication that even though those contracts are signed in different environments, and I, I want to be very mindful of that, I think it's fair to read that as a reflection that maybe the, maybe the broader market does view Patrick Nemeth as more valuable than John Merrill. It's not something I would agree with after watching them both this season, but I think they're both good defenders, and I just happen to think Merrill was a better one. As a matter of fact, I looked yesterday. The actual best defensive pair for the Red Wings for this year, by a landslide, was Patrick Nemeth and John Merrill. And actually, I think that's best overall pair for the Red Wings by Evolving Hockey. I think they had an expected goals for percentage north of like 55 on Evolving Hockey uh, for this season, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, and so I, I think they're both good defensemen, but I, I will admit when I saw Nemeth go for a fourth, my mind went, okay, so John Merrill's got to get a third then. Yeah, and I was kind of in the same boat. I mean, number one, I didn't think Merrill was really a guy that was going to get moved. I know... Again, the, the names that were talked about was Mark Stahl, Luke Lindenning, Jonathan Bernier. I mean, Merrill wasn't a guy that I had really envisioned moving. And then when you see that return and it was kind of quite underwhelming there, I think that was surprising. But you know what, Max, I think you're right. I mean, it does go to show what the market kind of felt about John Merrill. It's, it's a big reason why the Wings got him for $925,000. Uh, it's it's maybe maybe there's just not a huge perception that matches up with what he's been able to offer up on the ice and so you know in Montreal's case even though it was a little bit of a redundant deal uh, for Montreal I don't know that they really needed more defensive defensemen Um, they still were able to get a pretty solid player out of it for a cheap price yeah so we'll we'll see what what comes of this now for the Red Wings I mean I, I think that they should circle back on John Merrill and hey if, if the market for John Merrill is only a fifth-round pick, maybe that means the market for bringing him back, you're still able to get him at a palatable deal. If, if the Rebels could bring back John Merrill at two years times $2 million, I think that would be a A-plus free agent signing, personally. 
Yeah, I mean, you end up then again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but then you end up viewing that deal as okay. I got a free fifth round pick for twelve games of John Merrill, uh, and, and so then then that deal certainly gets viewed more favorably if that ends up happening. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, we will see. We'll see how that shakes out. I, I didn't think it was the best value. I think of of the four trades, this was the one that I would have uh, considered. Kind of the old uh, do you do you trade. Do you, do you take the best price available or do you set a price and stick to it? Um, on 31 Thoughts, the, the 31 Thoughts podcast, Elliot uh, Friedman and, and Jeff Merrick often refer to this as the Brian Burke rule. And I think there is something to be said for it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole challenge here because I think there's a lot of different philosophies that you can approach um, at the trade deadline. But in in this kind of situation, it is a scenario where either you take the best offer or you get nothing. That's ultimately the bottom line. Now you have to decide, does taking that quote-unquote best offer, if it's an underpay, ultimately influence your future deals and ability to have future transactions that net you appropriate value? I think that's to be determined. I might believe that. And so in that case, maybe you hold out on the deal. But for a guy like John Merrill, who wasn't necessarily a, you're not talking about a Taylor Hall type player. You're talking about a guy who has really been kind of a fourth defenseman for the Red Wings and been very serviceable in that role, it does make sense to sort of say, hey, I'm going to take this versus take nothing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Here's, here's, a, here's a good one for you. Okay, minimum 50 minutes played together. Give me your two best Red Wings defense pairings this year by expected goals for percentage. Uh, two best is going to be... It's going to be Philip Peronic and Danny DeKaiser, and it's going to be John Merrill and Patrick Nemeth. You're three quarters right. Ah. Number one, with 81 minutes time on ice together, which is not a ton, you know, at, at five on five. And this is score and venue adjusted. Let me unadjust that. Or do we like the score and venue adjustment? We do like the score and venue adjustment. All right, we're going to keep the score and venue <laughs> adjustment. This is all from Evolving Hockey. Number one and 80 minutes together is Philip Peronik and John Merrill, 61% expected goals for percentage. Number two is Patrick Nemeth and John Merrill. I'm sensing a key link here, 60% expected goals for percentage. So you can put John Merrill in two different roles. You can put him with your workhorse, uh, minute-eating defenseman, 
and and, and play him a lot and, and he's gonna you're gonna get really good minutes out of him, or you can put him with kind of your true shutdown guy in Nemeth, and they're gonna be a true shutdown pair. I mean, the the way that those two pairings did it was different. I mean, they both gave up very little. 1.21 expected goals against per 60 from Maryland Nemeth, which is an absurdly good rating. Uh, but 1.52 goals against per 60 for Maryland Hrodek. That's really, really good. I mean, that those are really good numbers. Uh, and I can't help but notice John Merrill's on both of those pairings. Yeah, I mean, he had had an outstanding season, and if you scroll even a little bit further down and you look at how he played with Mark Stahl, I mean, he got Mark Stahl to be, you know, again, one of the better pairings uh, for the team this season. I think they were sixth or seventh on... They're sixth, uh, that's right. Yeah, so, you know, they're they're a good... He, he did a really nice job in his role, and so that's where I think if you're Detroit... You know, maybe you viewed this as, hey, I'll take the price I can get because this is a hometown kid and I think I can bring him back. And the market wasn't super competitive to where I think I can bring him back pretty cheaply. He also gave uh, one of the five best moments of the season in that mic'd up clip with Victor Hedman that John Merrill did. Did you see that? <laughs> That's the that, that is honestly one of the best moments of the season where uh, I th- what, what was the exact... Uh, Hedman's like, uh, don't punch me in the face. And and Merrill says, I didn't punch you in the face. And, and Hedman's like, yeah, you did. And Merrill's like, I did? Hedman's like, yeah, you did. He goes, well, then I did. Who gives it? And then it like centers. It's either, you know, it's it's one of two words, right? Yeah. And then uh, Hedman goes, uh, oh, tough guy, huh? And Merrill says, uh, not really. Victor, <laughs> which for some reason is just such good comedic delivery. I mean, it was just the I the guy really it's endeared himself to me. I mean, it's it's a guy who looked like Joe Dirt playing great defense and had that endearing just personality on the ice that led to stuff like that. And it's just like, <laughs> you know what? I love it. Give me give me everything about it. I will eat this up. So you know, even even the Montreal fans are already loving his intro press conference. Where he's just sitting there in a trucker hat talking to him. It's just like everyone, everyone wants to have John Merrill around. So I would absolutely love to see him come back. Habs fans were so mad at this trade. Like I, I tweeted out immediately, love this trade from Montreal. What a bit of work to get this guy for a fifth is, is great job by Mark Bergevin. And I had Habs fans in my mentions like, you don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't solve anything. This sucks. Why couldn't we go get whoever? <laughs> I was like, okay, you're gonna you got this guy for a fifth round pick, and you're gonna love what he brings to your team. I mean, I think he's a duplicative piece for Montreal. You know, not to That's not to litigate Montreal's have, defense, yes. and then they wave Victor Mete and then lose him, and then they go out and add two defensemen on deadline day. That's just really really odd choices to replace Victor Mete. So they were doing a lot of weird stuff. And I don't know that Merrill really solves problems, but they got a nice player for a cheap price. Yeah, I, I, um, I really strongly think that the Red Wings should should look into resetting John Merrill this offseason. It, it's always easier said than done. I think the hometown kid advantage helps you here, but we'll see. We we certainly shall, but I would love to have him back. All right, um, Mantha and Verana. Anything that we haven't said about this that we need to? I mean, I think the 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 key point that that has come up in the response to what I've written about this is some people think I'm too low on Jacob Verana and I'm not giving this trade enough credit for how good it can be. And I guess I wanted to kind of address that uh, before we get into this, which is that I don't think I am low on Jacob Verana. I think he's a top six NHL forward. We talked about what those distinctions mean. He's produced like someone who can produce as a top line NHL forward. Um, I, I just also think that Anthony Mantha's ceiling 
was tremendous. And I think Anthony Mantha's ceiling um, was kind of on display already in his first game in, in Washington. And I know the the immediate response is going to be, yeah, we saw the ceiling sometimes in Detroit too, and, and it just wasn't consistent. And that's fair. It might happen that way. But playing next to Nicholas Backstrom, I think is going to bring out a lot in Anthony Mantha. And I, I could see Anthony Mantha turning in more of that kind of 0.8 to 0.9 points per game level that he did in Detroit in 2019-20 in in Washington and Washington's going to be really really happy with that. Can Jacob Vrana go from that situation into Detroit and maintain his production? I'm curious about that. You know, I think a lot of people have made the point about his points per 60 which which are tremendous. There's no doubt about that. He's a great scorer. I just also wanted to add that at 25 if you're still only getting 15 minutes a night, I think that that also merits kind of relevance in the discussion. Like, they, why if someone's scoring like that at that level, why are you only giving him 15 minutes a night? Sometimes that's bad coaching, no doubt. That and that maybe that will prove to be the case, and maybe Detroit will be laughing all the way to the bank about it. But I just felt like it's relevant information to take into account here. Um, and and if if Jacob Verana, you know, I, I expect him to be a top six forward for the Red Wings, and I think at some point. I, I would like to see him on the top line next to Dylan Larkin with the Red Wings and see what he looks like in that scenario. These are both two guys with great speed. And while I'm not so sure that speed, speed, speed always meshes on one line. I mean, I think uh, Athanasiu McDavid didn't quite go how I thought it would for that reason. Um, I, I'd like to see it. And, and I think that, that Verona is going to score in Detroit. I think he's going to help their offense. I think he's going to help their power play. He's gonna be. He's gonna do go a long way toward replacing the production that they lose in Anthony Mantha. But I, I think really what it is more a reflection of is I think really highly of Anthony Mantha, and that doesn't mean I think that the Red Wings didn't make a good trade here. I think they did make a good trade here because the the draft assets that they got involved in this were very good, and I don't think they need to hit on both picks for this to be a, a successful trade. But I just do think that they're gonna have to to make sure that they are getting value in those picks too, because they did give up a really high ceiling young player here. Am I off base with any of that? I don't think so. And I, I honestly think, you know, some of the comments about, oh, this is a, you know, the Red Wings fleece, the Capitals, or, you know, Anthony Mantha is a sorry player who was never going to be, or never amount to anything uh, in Washington. And he was a guy who didn't try. And now you've got Jacob Rano, who's, you know, top 15 in points per 60. And, you know, one of the top five goal scorers by rates uh, over the last few years, literally slotting in, you know, around Gallagher and Pasternak. That's great. But I do think, and and you you don't hear me say this often, but there is a context and a nuance that I think is missed or maybe not necessarily missed as, as the models attempt to capture it, but they don't honestly fully capture it. And what I mean by that is, you are taking a guy who is playing 14 minutes a night and asking him to greatly alter the role he's playing. He's going to go to now being Detroit's top winger, arguably. He's arguably the most talented winger yeah. on the team right now. And even and and he's going to have huge expectations on the power play. He's now going to be seeing his ice time likely get up to 18, 19 minutes a night. And the caliber of defense he's going to see is going to greatly increase. And so the the question, the million dollar question is, can a player that greatly, that performs in an outstanding fashion in a small role match that production as you escalate their role? More often than not, it doesn't work that way. And, And we see this time after time. 
Now, there are rare cases where it does work that way. Jonathan Marcheseau goes from playing a tiny role in Florida to being a 40-goal scorer. William Carlson, same kind of deal. Not really getting a lot of minutes in Columbus. Boom, he's a 40-goal scorer in, in Vegas. So, you know, sometimes it does work like that. But I think overarchingly, more often than not, we don't see that play out in that fashion. So for me, I am somewhat tempering my expectations of Jacob Rana. I'm not expecting him to step in and now be a, if you scale up his minutes and match and keep his rate stats the same, you're talking about a 35 goal, 80 point player. I don't, I don't think he is that. I think he's going to be a 20 to 25 goal player with 50 points, which, you know, Max, when you laid out the uh, kind of top six and top yep. line forwards, He's right there. That's great. He's on the fringe of being a top line forward. If you set yeah, fifty five, right. if you set fifty five as your threshold for that top line, he's literally on the fringe of that. So he's a heck of a player in his own right. But I don't want people putting that expectation there because I don't think he's going to scale up the same. And on the flip side, Anthony Mantha is going to scale down. He's now going to be given basically Jacob Verano's role, but a lot more. Uh, I think he'll get more minutes. He'll get that power play time. I mean, you looked at Washington's power play. I think they finished three for three, or maybe it was four for four. I can't remember. I mean, that power play is going to be filthy. Mantha's going to get the ice time there. He's going to not have the same attention on his one-timer because, hey, guys, if Alexander Ovechkin's <laughs> on the other side of the ice, like you're not going to overshadow onto that Mantha yeah. one-timer. And then his line mates were Nicholas Backstrom, one of the best passers of this generation, and TJ, right, and TJ Oshie. Like, that is, a, that is better than any line combination he has ever played on in Detroit. Yeah. And he's yep. getting to do it behind Evgeny Kuznetsov and Alex Ovechkin. So a team can't just key in on him. And what did you see? I mean, you saw Mantha playing with elite skill. I mean, he was absolutely dominant. His line at 5-on-5 five five in that Washington game, 80.5%, 5-on-5 five five expected goals for percentage. The next best Washington line was at 40%. They were twice as good as any other line uh, there. And so I think what you saw in Detroit is nowhere near what this guy can do when he has some help and protection around him. And I just don't think we talk about that enough. Like you take a guy like him and you give him some support, you give him some elite teammates, he's going to flourish. You saw the same thing with Thomas Tatar. He leaves Detroit. He gets, you know, he struggles in Vegas, but he hits Montreal where he's playing on their top line. And he's a 60-point player with a 55% expected goals for percentage. And just an absolutely outstanding hockey player. So here is where I want to take this, which is that Anthony Mantha, if he does reach that next gear, is going to make Washington fans extraordinarily happy, as he should. And, and I think I think I speak for both of us when I say we will be personally happy for Anthony Mantha if, if he reaches that next level uh, in his career. Um, where I think the trade analysis goes off the rails is in a binary win-loss analysis system. Because I think you can win a trade on value and ultimately have it be unsuccessful. Uh, I think you can win a trade on value, have it be, uh, you know, but, but have it be like not the best thing for your organization. And I think you can win a trade on value and have it be a great thing for your organization. On the flip side, I also think you can lose a trade and have it be the right thing for your organization to do. Um, you know, if, if the Red Wings, let's David Pasternak went with what the twenty fourth pick in the draft to the Boston Bruins. Yeah, somewhere in that range. I can't remember, okay. but close to it. Humor me here, and let's say Jacob Vrana becomes a thirty goal scorer every year, uh, 
for the Red Wings. And he's a, a cemented part of their young core, leading goal scorer for the next few years, and, and sticks around for when they're contender. And the Red Wings, by some stroke of, of under-scouting luck, stumble into a David Pasternak-caliber player. Ooh, ah, at that, at that uh, 20, 25th, 26th pick, whatever it ends up being for them this year. But the Washington Capitals win a Stanley Cup sometime in the next four years. Well, anyone who goes back and looks at that trade is going to say, well, yeah, but they gave up a top five player in the league uh, draft pick-wise and another first-line player. They, they lost that trade, but they won a Stanley Cup. And conversely, if the Red Wings, uh, even if the Red Wings do, do not nail this pick, it, and it's not a uh, quote-unquote successful trade, it's not a win in hindsight, that doesn't mean that this wasn't this can't have been the right move for the organization to try to make. Because if Anthony Mantha was not going to reach that next gear that, that I think he will reach in Washington and Detroit, then moving him while you're able to get another good young player and picks is, is also a good thing to do, a smart thing to do. And I think that's a really important takeaway in all this is if you thought that, that Mantha wasn't going to help you in time, or you thought that he wasn't going to reach his full potential and that you were, it was going to get harder to, to get peak value for him as time went on. Then I think that's a perfectly good justification too here. So um, I don't want want my message (laughs) and all this to get lost. I think the Red Wings did well in this trade on value, on timing, all of it. Um, I think that a lot of the success of it in, in terms of what it does for the rebuild will depend on what they do with the draft picks, but it won't change my opinion that they made a good trade on April 12th, 2021, and that the process was smart. Does that all make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's where exactly where I'm at. I think no matter what happens with Anthony Mantha, this is a win for Detroit. You did exactly what you needed to do with a player that you viewed to maybe be outside of your rebuilding window. So you went out, you got enough assets uh, in the picks, and then you went out and effectively got a replacement player for him so that you don't really and truly bottom out. Now, I think Detroit has the potential, uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, to really take this deal to another level if they're able to then take Jacob Vrana and turn him into another return along those lines or even something close to that. Now you're really talking about a, a deal that can reshape the franchise moving forward. I agree. And and I don't think they're going to, I should clarify, I don't think they're going to get David Pasternak or a David Pasternak equivalent because that's a, like a once in a decade situation that a player of that caliber uh, falls into that range of, of picks. But you can get good players there. You can get a Travis Konechny in that range, right? You'll be thrilled if you got Travis Konechny with this pick, right? Yeah. I mean, you absolutely would be. Because again, remember these picks towards the end of the first round, there's no guarantee that they're even NHL players. Yeah. So getting a guy like Travis Konechny in there, you should be over the moon. I think if you can get a, you know, like I, I would say the, the is Joe Valeno kind of a par value pick or, or a plus value pick for, for 30th overall? I think he's probably a par value pick, right? I mean, if you think about where he was drafted at 30th overall, the number of years so far we've waited to see him hit and kind of where we're projecting him to land as maybe a third line center uh, I think that's maybe par for the course or about yeah. average for the pick. So so expect a Joe Valeno type, a, a middle six uh, player uh, in, in that spot. And if you do better than that, be thrilled. And if you do worse, understand that that was a real risk the whole time. I mean, this is a weird year for scouting. 
Um, and, and every draft is already hard enough as it is, even without that. So um, I don't think that changes the process of the decision of making this move. You trust your scouts, you believe that you know how to find talent, uh, and you give yourself the chance to go get it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's kind of, I guess, kind of my, uh, my rant on this. It, it, it's, I, I felt bad because I felt like my point was not getting across. I felt like people were thinking I was down on Verano, who, who I really think is a legit top six forward, probably should play on Detroit's top line at some point here. Um, and, and I think is, is deserving of that. Um, I, I just think that a lot of the, the trade is, is independent of that. Although I think Verana could make this trade by himself. If Verana's as good as Mantha, this is a home run. Yeah. I mean, if Verana's as good as Mantha and you're able to either decide, uh, you know, you want to keep Jacob Verana as a part of the score, or he's as good as Mantha, you extend him to a good team friendly deal. And then you flip him for another Mantha return Right. And now you're viewing the Mantha return as two first round picks and two second round picks. You're like, okay, this is an absolute home run. And I think it can still be a success even if he's not. Let's say he's Athens CU. Good. Like, like good, like, tw- like, I think that's kind of what you were saying, right? Like good 20 to 25, 45 to 55 point guy. That's, that's kind of, that's a little better than Athens CU. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe a little bit better than Andreas Athens CU is what you're, uh, but what what I would set as your expectation for Jacob Rana in Detroit, and if he's that, and you get a a, a prospect of you know Valeno caliber, uh, or even a little more than that, let's say you get a Valeno and a Mastro Simone, or a Valeno and a Johansson, you're still really pumped about that trade. I think big picture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what you're hoping for. So that's how I view this trade. Um, but since you already teased it, let's let's just go right into that. Uh, how confident are we that Jacob Rana plays? Uh, 94 games with the Detroit Red Wings. I'm not actually that confident because I think if you are Steve Eiserman and you traded Anthony Mantha because, you know, uh, in your opinion, he is maybe his his age kind of puts him outside of the rebuild. We don't know that the Red Wings. Clear. We don't. This is all speculation by Elliot Friedman. I should say that he kind of speculated something along those lines uh, in 31 Thoughts, and it sort of makes sense. But, it does make sense. Um, you know, so if that's the case, Jacob Rana is 18 months younger than Anthony Mantha. He's uh, just turned 25 in February. Uh, so you would kind of look at this and say, does he fit in the long-term rebuild if you're dealing a guy like Mantha who's going to be 27 in September? Uh, or are the Red Wings effectively looking to set him up to be another guy that they can flip for more draft capital, uh, uh, another prospect, something along those lines. I think that's kind of the smart move if you're Detroit, uh, is is that Mantha deal to me really signaled a pivot to the future core, quote-unquote, being Philip Zadina, Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, and pivoting by flipping Verona for more picks uh, allows you to continue to build and add to that core, Um so I think that's maybe the smart move here if you are Steve Eiserman. How many of the current young forwards in the 24 to 20 uh, yeah, 24 to 26 range do you need to keep realistically? I think realistically you don't have to keep any of them, but I do think I don't think you have to keep any of them because you can go out and bring in that veteran presence. And again, I think that Mantha deal sort of signals that the wings are four to five years away. I think that's what the deal signals, um, or at least what Eisenman maybe thinks, is that they are that far away for him to not 
again, this is all speculation, but mm-hmm. for him to not view Mantha to be a part of that puzzle. Uh, and so if you are saying four to five years away, then Philip Zadina is 25 by the time that happens. And so do I need the guys that are going to be anywhere from 29 to 31 at that point in time to be there? I don't know that you have to. I think you can get by without it. But I do think, obviously, Dylan Larkin is certainly a part of the long-term future for Detroit. I do, too. But I think, realistically speaking, you don't have to keep him. So let me go back to something that Bobby Ryan told me a couple weeks ago about Dylan Larkin. I, I I was able to talk with Bobby about kind of reflecting on his season. Actually, ironically, like two days before it was announced that he was out for the season, which I don't know that even he knew at that time. Um, but what he told me about Larkin is he says he's always the hardest working guy. I can't remember a day where I thought he was off and he's not working. Like he just comes to work, he puts his gear on, and he goes about his business and for a guy, he referenced Philip Zadina, Z sees that every single day and that becomes infectious. I think there's an element of veteran leadership that can bring that. I don't think it captures the same way as when it is your best player uh, and, and a guy who's only really a couple of years older than you. Is that fair? Yeah, I think I think totally. I mean, you see that across a number of different sports when you know, guys talk about the best player. I mean, hell, in Detroit, we talked about for years, Nick Lidstrom set the standard. Then Henrik Zetterberg set the standard of what work ethic was going to be like. And you can, Max, you can use this exact argument on me. What do you think Dylan Larkin saw, right? He watched Henrik Zetterberg right. and that kind of work ethic. And now potentially he's the standard bearer for those guys moving forward. And it's your best player. Like it's not just, it's not just one of the veteran right. guys, bottom six guys who you might be able to talk yourself into saying, well, that's how that guy's in the league is, is he does it that way. And I do it my way. It's no, if Dylan Larkin, the best player on the team can do it this way, why would I not do it this way? Exactly. And so that's, that's, I think the argument you make to keeping a guy like Larkin around um, you know, I think realistically speaking, when I'm talking about this from a pure objective standpoint, I don't really know how to quantify how much of an impact that makes at, relative to a lot of the other things that go into what we see ultimately on the ice. And so for me, with that level of uncertainty, I, I, I'm kind of hesitant to say, yes, I have to have that. Um, but it absolutely makes sense, especially when you look at uh, the lineage of what we've seen in Detroit with Lidstrom watching Iserman, you know, and then you have uh, Zetterberg watching Lidstrom, and then you have, you know, now Larkin watching Zetterberg. It's kind of that lineage has been there for 30, 40 years now. Yeah, and and, and a point that um, I think it was, you listened to this week's 31 Thoughts podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, was it Merrick that made the point of like, you, you it's also a guy who can relate to the younger players because he he is still closer to their age. Right, right, right. That's that's a key, I think, that separates maybe, you know, some of the other scenarios is, is Larkin is still 25. 24. 24, that's right. That's He'll right. turn 25 let me, soon, though. Let me not age season. him here. Yeah, that's right. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Um, no, so, so I, I think uh, it's, it's an important conversation, but, but the reason I ask you how many should stay um, is not just about Dylan Larkin. It's about Tyler Bertuzzi. It's about Jacob Vrana. It's about Robbie Fabry. Right now we're talking about 75% of the Red Wings' uh, top six wingers when, when I say that, which is really their four best wingers um, as I say that. And so uh, I don't know what this offseason is going to look like if I thought – uh, four days ago, that um, that that it, that it, the Mantha trade was surprising. I'm kind of starting to say maybe I should uh, reset what surprises me. Yeah, I th- I think so because I think if you're a Red Wings fan, I would buckle up and maybe prepare for some fireworks this off season. We'll certainly see. I mean, Bertuzzi. If I am an opposing team, now we got to see what's up with his health because he's missed a lot of time, and that is a huge conversation here if i am an nhl gm who is who either has a kind of um fringy playoff team or a true contender you can i can look at bertuzzi and i can see a guy who will raise my level in the playoffs and if i'm a fringy playoff team that needs to get tougher to play against without um, having to bring in somebody one-dimensional to fill that role tyler bertuzzi is one of the very first names on my list and if i'm a contender that that has the cap room to accommodate someone like tyler bertuzzi he's very very high on my list because his game will play up in the postseason we've been saying it for years he's done it at every single level in the postseason just hasn't had the chance to do it yet in detroit uh selfishly as a hockey observer I want to see Tyler Bertuzzi in the playoffs. I would love to. I think he's exactly he's built exactly for it. Um, I would love to see that happen in Detroit, but I think realistically, it's a it's a quite far away uh, at this point. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I I am well aware that I have been the person for two years now uh, who will go on this podcast and, and tell everybody to settle down about uh, trading Mantha and Bertuzzi. And now that they traded Manta, I kind of feel like I have to shut up with that line of uh, that that narrative that I've been that I've been uh, sticking to. I guess. I mean, it's sort of funny. I, I bet if we went back and tracked through our, our our history, the first time I think we brought up Manta being dealt was actually last season. And I probably uh, said, "Oh my god." <laughs> I I can't re- quite remember the eye roll, but it, it might have been there. My line of thinking has basically, and I think this this encapsulates the conversation we're having, is that if you're going to trade one of them, who who aren't you trading? And I I think I meant that to make a different point than the one that is now coming to fruition here, <laughs> which is you should who trade you them trading? all. <laughs> I, I still I would not trade. I, I wouldn't trade Larkin unless yeah. somebody came to me with something that was just absolutely ridiculous, and that was already true. Um, that that's you know, that, that's the eternal rule. I would not trade Dylan Larkin. Um, yeah, and I don't have a problem holding that yeah. and just saying, you know what, I'm not going to trade Dylan Larkin. He is going to be a part of this team. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I think at the end of the day, you have to do your due diligence. You field all the offers. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm going to hand you four first-round picks for Dylan Larkin, then, okay, you have to talk about it. Um, but re- realistically, someone's got to blow your you know socks off with, uh, with a deal like that to make that happen. 
I don't know if people will believe me when I say this because I, I have written uh, my fair share of it in the last uh, few years I've been on the beat, but trade speculation is my literal least favorite part of, uh, tra- sorry, second least favorite part of this job. First least favorite is transcribing interviews. Yeah, that's fair. And that's exactly why I built a trade machine so we can just talk about trade speculation. Yeah, you did it too, just to drive me crazy. Exactly. <laughs> May not be done with it for a while. We'll see what happens. Um, all right, we're moving not. on. <laughs> did you have something else to say? No, I was saying we're not done because if you look at our mailbag here, right, <laughs> what were a majority of the questions? We, we basically tackled the questions from uh, some of y'all. I think questions that I had noted was from Big Head 365 about uh, dealing Bertuzzi. I think John uh, Kazlarich said a similar question. Corey Hames talks about flipping Jacob Rana. You got Adam Dubois talks about, is it anyone but Larkin or everyone? So these were the questions. These are what everyone wanted to hear from us. And uh, All right, so that makes me feel better. I'm just going to pretend like I knew that those were everybody's questions and that I was just answering questions and not uh, following the thing. (laughs) Yeah, and so I'm making sure everyone gets their shout out. You know, we also had Burr871. Does Dylan Larkin get traded this summer or next? And so Max, your answer is he, he doesn't get traded in either of those summers. So... That'd be my answer. Um, All right. Here's what I want to know to you. What do you th- okay? So, so people talk about flipping Verana. To me, once a guy gets traded once, um, does it lower his trade value to get traded again? You know, I think this is a fascinating question. One I have never looked into. Um, my intuition is no. However, you know, as I'm thinking about this out loud and on the spot, uh, I sort of do think I can recall diminishing returns in guys that are dealt well, Taylor Hall. a handful. I mean, well, Taylor Hall is a very different story because yeah. of this no move clause yeah. that seems like maybe he was forcing his way to Boston, yeah. in which case Boston held all the cards. So I'm not going to really read into um, the return there. But I mean, there are there are a handful of situations where you see different guys get flipped. And, you know, Max, I think you're right. I don't know how often the second flipping or even the third ever exceeds the first. Um, the reason I ask it is because I put myself in the shoes of a general manager who would be acquiring a player who I know was traded within the last year. And in hockey, you try to gather as much information as you can, I'm sure. But you also have to know that as in anything else in life, you're dealing with a limited amount of information. And if, if you're uh, if, if you're the team acquiring, you are realizing that, that the other team knows more about the player that they would potentially trade you than you do. And if I'm saying, yeah. all right, one team traded him and added a first round pick in the deal to of that trade. Um, well, now this other team that just got him wants to trade him within a year and a half to me. What am I missing here? Yeah, I think that's the, that's a challenge. I think if you are a general manager though, um, and you see, you know, again, I think we're going to assume that Jacob Rana goes out plays exactly like Jacob Rana and, and doesn't diminish his value in any way there. Uh, I Part of me wants to say that nothing changes because if you still see the same on-ice product, uh, why would that alter, why would the fact that he was dealt previously, particularly in a scenario like this, where he is not the centerpiece of the deal, he is actually a throw-in to the Anthony Mantha deal, um, I don't know that, that I would let that weigh on me, but maybe maybe I'm thinking about this very different than how an NHL GM would think about it. You could be right. You, you could very well be right. I just it's it's a curiosity that I always have, and um, my inclination is that as we're talking about Jacob Rana as a top six first line forward, that has value unquestionably. I yeah, just wonder it, if if the move itself affects that in any way. Yeah, I 
I think I'll dig into this a little bit more. Maybe I'll have a better answer for us next time. All right. That sounds good. All right. We'll go back into the rest of the mailbag here and say uh, on, on a scale, for, this is from uh, Geo Fitz. On a scale from one to Braden Point, where do you think the Mantha trade ranks among Iserman's best all-time trades as a GM? People really like this deal. I mean, this is a... Well, but think about it, right? This is a heck of a scaled like deal that he's made. And if you think about, you know, the, the Druan trade that he makes for, for Sergachev, you know, you think about the McDonough deal, you think about, uh, you know, Marty St. Louis deal. This is a big, big swing. I think it's too early to truly tell how this deal stacks up because I think historical narrative certainly paints how the Sergachev Druan deal looked. I think at the time, a lot of people were very high on Jonathan Druan and didn't think he would bottom out the way he did. And people hadn't really seen a ton of Mikhail Sergachev to know. So I think history has certainly landed in the favor there. Um, but if I'm kind of prognosticating where history is going to land, I think this deal still comes in uh, well behind that Druan Sergachev deal. I think there's a few that were just absolute coups that, that Iserman had. I mean, the Bishop trade that he traded away Corey Conacher. Right, Corey Conacher for Ben Bishop. Who becomes like a Vezina finalist. And then, oh, by the way, if you want to go trade tree on this, he trades Bishop for Eric Chernak, who's a top 4D on a, on a cup team. Just, I mean, just He's insane. really good the at this is... job. He's really right. good at it. So so look at look at that. There's the ben, there's the answer to your previous question. Ben Bishop's traded and he only gets Corey Conacher, and then the second time around he gets Eric Chernak. So All right. but Conacher, there you go. It's about, <laughs> at the time of that trade, Conacher might have been a, a more desirable asset than Chernak was at the time of his. That is true. <laughs> that is very true. Hockey's weird, man. Stuff happens and, and, and you think it's going to go one way and it goes completely the other all the time. Yeah, I mean, literally nothing was happening on deadline day and then you get that Mantha deal out of nowhere. So it's just stuff happens you just got to be ready for it you have to admit it was eerily quiet like like i was i didn't know this was happening i don't want to portray that that i had like that i was aware of this and i was holding out on it or anything like that i I didn't i didn't know until uh kevin weeks tweeted it um and then you know really like pierre confirmed it a few minutes later uh lebron but it was eerily quiet around the red wings all day i i just had this 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 feeling that uh I couldn't believe that nothing had happened because of how quiet it had been. Yeah, I mean, I was, again, if you want to know where my state of mind was, I was about to take a nap. (laughs) I was literally plugging my phone in, setting the alarm for my nap, and then my phone starts pinging, and it's all these people tagging me in the Kevin Weeks tweet. And so I go and look, and I was like, oh, no, this didn't actually happen, did it? And then the follow-up tweet comes and includes first and second round pick. Well, and Kevin Weeks was almost an NHL GM like a few months ago, right? Right. So like right. if Kevin Weeks says it, it's like, oh, he knows some stuff. But then like I was initially skeptical because like you didn't hear it from Pierre. You didn't hear it from Elliot Friedman. You didn't hear it from Drager. You basically had, Kevin a, Weeks. had a pseudo-rival GM tweeted out. <laughs> right. It was basically just Kevin Weeks for a little while. And then there's David Pagnotta who, who comes through. And I was like... Okay, I don't actually know if this is happening, but now I can't take a nap and this better actually happen or I've wasted my opportunity for a nap. Uh. And then the deal happened and I think I sat there for 45 minutes with my mouth open going, I don't know what is actually happening right now. Madness. All right, um, here's a few on what to do with the extra draft pick. Connor says, 
Does the extra first round pick mean they should be going after Wallstead? And do you think this gives him a better shot at a top pick in 2022 first keeping Mantha? Yeah, this is, uh, so I guess to tackle the first part, does this mean they're going after Wallstead? I certainly hope not. You know, I think I've been over this a number of times. I am actually going to write an article that includes some information about this. So people can, can, can hang on. I will lay it out uh, another way, but I think their, their first pick has to be a, a, a top level player, whether they're deciding between one of the defensemen, you know, for me, that'd be Owen Power or Brant Clark, or if they're deciding between one of the forwards, I think, you know, Matty Beneers, uh, Dylan Ginther, uh, those are the guys for me towards the top of the draft uh, that I would focus on. So I wouldn't take Wallstead there, and he's not going to survive to the Capitals pick. Um, now, as far as do you think that this gives him a better shot at a top pick in 2022, I think a lot of it depends on what they do with Bertuzzi and Vrana. Um, you know, obviously keeping Anthony Mantha prevents them from totally bottoming out. And next year, you're going to see Mo Sider join the team. You may see some of the other guys like Joe Valeno. You may see, uh, you know, a Berggren appearance, although unlikely. And you may see a Raymond appearance, although unlikely. But uh, I think it sort of depends on if Bertuzzi's back for the whole season uh, and Vrana stays. If both those guys are gone, then I think it absolutely gives him a better shot at a 2022 pick. Yeah, I can buy that argument. Uh, I, I think that... Uh... I, I don't think I would go after Wallstep, but if he fell to me at that spot, I think I'm comfortable with it. I don't think I would move up for it. Um, and and is, has Wallstep, his numbers have dipped, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly slowed down. He wasn't going to keep those numbers up the entire way in the SHL. Like, that was just a, a ridiculous start. Um, and even we saw the same thing happen with Askarov last yeah. year. I think he got real hot at the beginning. Uh, he slowed a little bit down and, and has come back to earth. I think if you look at uh, you know Wallstead, he's two 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 three goals against average, nine oh eight save percentage, twelve and ten record, two shutouts. You know he did fine, um, but he definitely fell back to earth from where he was at the beginning. And again, to me, it's just that inconsistency in, in prognosticating the goaltender that makes me very wary about spending a high draft pick when I have to hit on it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, okay. Here's one from Joe D. Would you have preferred if one of those picks were taken out for Connor McMichael, especially if the pick will be around the 20s and he's excelling from his pick position? I think this one's like an obvious yes, but like Montreal doesn't do that. Uh, you mean uh, Washington doesn't do that, right? Or, sorry, yeah, yes, Conor Mc- yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Connor McMichael I don't think was going to ever be in that deal. And yeah. if you're including Connor McMichael, I think both those picks are coming out. Um, and so McMichael's great. He still would technically fit the timeline because he's a, I think he's a 19 draft pick. Yes. Uh, so, you know, he, he would still be within that window that the wings seem to be moving towards. Um, I'd certainly like it. I know more about him. I have more information. He's more quickly going to be with the team. Uh, but at the same time, I'm very much okay with a, a 2021 first and a 2022 second from that deal. So I, I think the answer is yes, but I don't think it would have happened. I, I can't speak universally. I have not watched Connor McMichael play. Um, but just to give people a sense, like Corey Promet had Connor McMichael ranked as the number 22 overall under 23 hockey player. Like that includes guys in the NHL. He was above Lucas Raymond um, in Corey's most recent ranking in January. So that's the kind of caliber of prospect McMichael was. Like, I don't even know. Does Montreal do McMichael for Mantha straight up? Uh... They probably do. Probably do because it fits their window yeah. better. But um, like, but 
Yeah. He's like it, assuming that that like, you know, that that level of value, I think McMichael's not your ordinary late 20s pick. You, you if you get a McMichael, you're you're absolutely thrilled in that range. Yeah, I mean, he fell, I you know, for reasons in that first year, and then he came back with a two point per game season the following year. So, you know, he, he's a heck of a hockey player. A ridiculous talent. Okay, um, all things Detroit. Could Raymond and Johansson potentially play in GR this season? Might be tight with visa issues and quarantine, but I'm not sure if they could even play it all this season in GR. So, uh, real quick, both were eliminated Wednesday from the SHL playoffs. Yeah, so I don't think Raymond's healthy yet for you to see him. Johansson, I think Raymond also has signed. Right, right. Raymond also has to sign first. So maybe, but I, I think it's doubtful. Uh and I think I don't know how the world championships come into play here. If they can if if they Johansson's on loan, so I believe he could come back, but I don't know the rules on this. Maybe somebody out there who um who does could chime in on Twitter. Um I, I don't know that Johansson will be picked for the world championship team, but I do believe he got picked for their national team for one of the late season tournaments. I think that's relevant. That would apply to Bergen too. Bergen is also unsigned. Um, but I would think, you know, St- I asked Steve Eisenman about this the other day uh, and he pretty much said what, what, um, what the question asker said about quarantine and, and visa issues. Um, but, but this does give them, I mean, they've got three weeks now. Uh, does the AHL season end right about the same time as the NHL? I want to say it goes a little bit later because so it started a up a little bit later. So, yeah. so maybe a month. And, and if they could get those guys over here and, and do their week quarantine, that could give them a couple weeks to come over. But I don't think they're going to do it just for um, just for a couple games or anything like that. But but if they could get you know some sustained time, it could make some sense. They'll 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 talk about it. Um, but Eisenman basically didn't have any specifics on this um, when I asked him uh, on Monday. Yeah, um, I think it'll be unlikely. Yeah. Uh, All Things Detroit also asks, anyone heard anything regarding development camp, prospect tournaments, and our preseason? I know it's early for these things, but I'm curious if they'll happen. I assume preseason will happen, but the other two won't. I don't don't have the answer to it, Um, but I will try to get it and and let you know as I hear. But I I imagine uh, the world's going to change a whole lot in the next uh, four or five months, and so uh, it might be be a little early to have that answer. Yeah. Um, Any word on Keith Petrozelli? That's from D. Hatman. No, uh, I have not. I have not heard any update on Keith Petrozelli, and I'm curious about it. I know I, I, I probably should have tried to squeeze it in to that press conference. I just had already asked four questions, and that, there was a lot of people on that call, and I didn't want to bogart too much of it. But um, I, I will poke around and see if I can get an update on that. And then the last one, um, I, I appreciated this question from John Evans, who asked about um, going to Montreal. I, I went to Montreal in summer 2019 to work on a story about uh, Anthony Mantha. And um, his trainer, Matt Latour, who passed away, uh, and he, he said, what was it like to travel with Mantha to Montreal? <laughs> Did they let you rent a car? Uh, I think he, he probably is recently finding out that I'm 25, uh, which I was not at that time. <laughs> I didn't travel to Montreal with Mantha. I just traveled to Montreal and met up with Mantha for that story. Um, but I, the reason that I wanted to answer this one on air is because I felt like it was a good opportunity for me to just say how much I appreciated uh, covering Anthony Mantha over the years. Uh, he was one of the uh, most accessible, easy guys to talk to in that locker room. Very honest, very available. Um, that story that we did in 2019, I was not sure. I, I would not have faulted him in any way if he didn't want to do a story about that. He didn't, you know, he, he basically um, gave me two days into his life uh, at that time at a very sensitive, hard moment in, in his life. And I will forever appreciate um, him being willing to open up and, and, um, and, and let me come up to Montreal and do that story. 
Um, he is a very nice guy. He, uh, you know, I, I didn't travel with him, uh, like, like the question said, but, uh, he, he was very nice picking me up from the subway station. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I, and, and he also, uh, wouldn't let me take an Uber, uh, back to my hotel one night. He, he insisted on driving me himself. Uh, he's a, he's a really good guy. Uh, and I, I will forever have a lot of respect for Anthony and appreciate Anthony, um, as just being a, a great guy to cover. So I wanted to, to close on that. Um, and, and I appreciate John for asking that question because I, I, I certainly um, am glad to, to speak to that. So, Yeah, think, he's a heck of a hockey player, heck of a human. Yep, absolutely. All right, I think that will do it for us for today then. Um, great questions today. You guys nailed this this mailbag uh, and gave us a ton to, to cover for the show. So keep that up. Good on you all. And, and we'll be back at you uh, on Monday. Thanks. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.